Good morning, everybody. Let's try that again. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that is a song I need to keep singing to my own heart. The Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always. Because it seems like things are always changing in our society. But He remains the same. And He is what we need. He is what we need. Before I get going, I'd like to dismiss children for Children's Church. That's ages 4 through 1st grade. You can follow Mr. and Mrs. Holty out in the blue t-shirts as they head out. So thank you guys for serving and ministering to our kids and the truth of God's Word. Well, if you were here last week, you saw that we had to make a change in plans. David Hunter, the new director of Minnesota Adult Teen Challenge locally, I asked him to come and share his story. I said, seven to ten minutes, David. So, you know, sometimes the Lord does things that we did not plan. But I'm so glad that he, he shared everything. Because if he had cut that off, we would not know the extent of how God has been faithful to David. In fact, I talked to him, he says, I could not find the clock on the back wall. <laughs> and maybe the Holy Spirit blinded him to the clock. It's right over there, David, but... That's, I'm, all, I'm all good with it, because I, I sensed that God was doing something that morning different than what I had planned. And we need to be willing to be interrupted from time to time, don't we? In fact, the sermon really is about a change in plans. If you have your Bibles, crack them open to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But how many of us along these lines have experienced this? We have a misunderstanding with something because we've perceived something that they've done that we don't get, and we start assigning motives to it. We start assigning, uh, you know, something that we question their motives, we think poorly of them, we view them with suspicion. And this happened to me in regard to one of our pastors in town. I, as you may know, I'm part of the Evangelicals Pastors and leaders and pastors fellowship and there was this one particular pastor i was getting to know and so i saw him at the rack the rochester athletic you know club and he's on the track and i said hey what's going on and he ignores me he just keeps going oh, he must not hurt me you know so another time i see him hey, what's going on hey what you know he is ignoring me. And all of a sudden, I mean, this happens multiple times. And all of a sudden, I start assuming he doesn't like me. He, you know, he, maybe he thinks poorly of me. And so I start thinking poorly of him. But I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. This guy is my brother in Christ. So one day, I just, I, I get right in front of him in the locker room. I said, hey, are we good? Is there... Is, because I've been, I've been saying hi to you, and you have ignored me. He says, I am so sorry. You see, and he pulled out these earbuds that he had deep within his ears. He says, at the end of the day, I put in my earbuds, and I crank up my music or my podcast, and I just go. And it wasn't that he was trying to ignore me. He just was focused, and it's like, it's like oh. It's all good, you know, and I didn't have to stop, I could stop assigning wrong motives, evil motives, you know, malevolent motives to my brother in Christ. And hey, he says hi to me regularly. In fact, he <laughs> snaps me with a towel every once in a while. So 
I guess that's love right there. My point is, though, is that we can have misunderstandings with each other, with brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that's what's going on here in this second part of this first chapter. You see, there had been a change in plans. And there was a misunderstanding. Because Paul had said he was going to come back to them at at a certain time. And then that changed. And the Corinthians started to question Paul's motives. They started to question Paul's care for them. And maybe even the authenticity of the gospel that he had preached to them. And Paul's aware of this. And so he really seeks to reassure them of his care and to affirm even more so the truth and the veracity and the faithfulness of the gospel. So let's just read through uh, what Paul says to them and then we'll kind of unpack this because it does take a lot of unpacking. Starting at verse 12, chapter 1. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, or on, but on God's grace. We do not write you anything that you cannot read or understand. And I hope that as you have understand, understood us in part, you will come to understand fully and that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you on the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this. I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans with a worldly manner? So that in the same breath I say, yes, yes, and no, no. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me, And Silas and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He has anointed us set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness, and stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith you stand firm. So, I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. Let me pray for us, and then we'll unpack uh, this misunderstanding between Paul and his beloved Corinthians. So, Lord, um, I thank you that you are faithful. You are the same yesterday, today, and always. And I thank you, Lord, that you have given us 
your grace. It is your unmerited favor, and we get to celebrate that today in the Lord's Supper. But in receiving that grace, you also expect us to extend that grace to one another. And I pray that it would be plain in this passage as we seek to see how you are at work in a very human church, in a very human apostle, and yet your spirit was alive in overcoming all those obstacles. So we thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us to see what you have for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. So when we first started this letter, remember Paul was talking about the God of all comfort. And what a great reality to lean into. That God is the God of all comfort because He is the God who has not left us alone. In fact, He comforts us so that we can turn around and comfort others. And within that, even to find comfort in adversity. Paul would talk about the adversity that he had experienced in Asia Minor to the point of saying, hey, we despaired of life itself, but this happened so that we would not depend upon ourselves, but upon Christ. So, you know, where is your confidence? Where is your hope? But this week again, Paul is answering questions about the sincere care for the Corinthians, the honesty of his plans to visit them, and also the veracity of the gospel. Because there had been a change of plans. And I'm just going to give some quick background of the story between Paul and the Corinthians. Because he's the one who planted the church there. Him and Ananias and Sapphira, they planted the church there. And realize this is, church is made primarily of Gentiles, probably you know, servants in the, in the uh, Gentile households, although I'm sure there were some folks that had some means. But the message he preaches to them is Christ and Him crucified and risen from the dead. And for us who have put our faith in that, that is good news. That is something to lean into. But you know, for this world, sometimes that's foolishness. In fact, for the Jews, a crucified Christ, that's a stumbling block. And for Greeks, a Christ risen from the dead, what I, is there anything good in this material world? So this message sometimes is perceived as weakness. But it's not. It's the foolishness of God, foolishness of God that is wiser than the wisdom of men. It is the strength of the, the weakness of God that is stronger than the strength of men. So, Paul plants this church. He's there for about 18 months. And then he and Aquila and Priscilla leave. And things start to spiral downward. And he has to send a letter of correction, which is 1 Corinthians, dealing with factions. They're dividing up, saying, hey, I'm following Paul. I'm following Apollos. I'm following Peter. And then you've got issues of sexual sin that's being tolerated. There's a man who's living with his father's wife. And this is being celebrated in the church. And then there's use and misuse of the Lord's Supper. And then there's misuse of spiritual gifts. Trying to demonstrate my spiritual gift to build myself up rather than to build up the church. And here's also the kicker. Again, 
this church is a big city church with big city expectations. And they're not so impressed with who the Apostle Paul is. In this preaching, they want him to demonstrate power and performance and pizzazz. I mean, they want the show, which is kind of a worldly desire. Paul, on the other hand, wants to show the power of the cross. Power demonstrated, perhaps, even in weakness. And that is kind of the main theme of this letter. Grace made strong in weakness. Now that he's failed to keep this, you know, appointment of coming back, at least on their timetable, there are suspicions. Suspicions about Paul. Suspicions even about the gospel. And he wants them to understand his purity, his sincerity. Wake up. And the veracity of the gospel. Pause for a moment here, though. Sometimes we talk about how we long for the good old days, how things were in the original church, how good things, how good the koinonia was. The truth of the matter is there is no good old days. There's always been misunderstanding. There's always been conflict in the church. There's always been sin to deal with and misunderstandings and selfishness. And that is what grace is for. To bring us back to the truth and to have be reconciled in forgiveness with one another, to let that reign. So, with that, Paul wants them to have confidence in his sincere care that's rooted in grace. Look at verse 12. Now, this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, with integrity, literally with holiness. We are wholly given over to God's message, to Christ's service of you and with godly sincerity. We have done so, not relying on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Our boast, and boasting is not a virtue that Christians usually buy into, right? But what he's talking about, his confidence, is that our conscience testifies that we conducted ourselves toward you with holiness and godly sincerity. And not with worldly wisdom, which oftentimes is, What can I get from you, or how can I flatter you to make you like me? Rather, it's rooted in God's grace. God's grace, which starts with the grace that I have received. The favor that I did not merit. What God has done to make a way for me to be rightly related to Him. And that I might be able to extend that to somebody else. And so, with that view, seeing the Corinthians as someone not to, someone to exploit or compare himself to, but someone, someone's for whom Christ died. And he is willing to give himself even to display God's care, concern, character, and to convey this gospel. Again, a gospel that says, you're broken without Jesus, but Jesus is the answer. It's what God has done for you. Paul wants them to know his heart. He says, I am Christ's sent one. I am his apostle. So that's, this grace motivates everything. The truth is, folks, ministry can be hard at times, especially when you feel misunderstood or accused. 
Again, the nature of the gospel of grace is unmerited favor. And it needs to start with the grace that I have received in Christ in order that I might extend it to another. Because sometimes when you're trying to extend grace, people don't respond so graciously, do they? They don't want to hear, or they have to take advantage of you. Or they need, they need more and more grace. I think about you folks that are working in, in Iwana, and kids aren't listening to you. They're being squirmy-wormy, right? Those kids need the grace of God coming out from you. They need to see that. Next week, we're going to have our Sunday of service, right? You may be praying for somebody. You may be assisting somebody. And they may be taking you for granted. You may be making them breakfast. And they're going to go, hey, how come there's no, there's no cheese in my eggs? Hey, how come this? And you're going, this is grace extended to you. But you have to remember the grace that has been extended to you in serving. That is the heart that Paul has. He's, he's, he's going to point out many of their faults, certainly. But his heart is that of grace. And so the prayer for us needs to be, Lord, help me to see people how you see them. Help me to see people how you see them. Give me your heart. And next, Paul had confidence in them coming to sincere understanding of what would take place. Verse 13, for we, we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that, as you have understood us in part, that means not fully, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, Scholars have pretty much determined, and we'll see this actually in chapter 7 of this letter, that this second letter of Corinthians is probably not the second letter that Paul had sent to them. It's probably the third. Dan Arm says it's the fourth. We're, we're discussing this. But no, no matter. There were more letters that came, and these letters were letters of correction. Most likely dealing with some of the stuff they had not dealed with, dealt with. And it appears that they had some misunderstandings about what Paul wrote. Or maybe even more so, they had some misunderstandings about what Paul felt about them. Because you know, when somebody brings correction, sometimes we just think, man, they don't like me. I mean, Paul's just hammering us. Does he even like us? You ever felt like that? When correction is brought your way, and maybe it's just, and this, and this, and this, and you go, Man, do you even care about me? Do you like me? But Paul sends out a statement of goodwill. His godly affection, he states this as his boast. I have confidence, he says, in your faith in Christ. That as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand that you can boast of us, just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Guys, I have confidence in what God is doing in you and how He's transforming you. And yeah, I brought some hard words, but I'm confident that God is at work in you and He's going to bring that to completion. I know that's to the Philippians, but this is the confidence that He has. And He hopes that they'll reciprocate, the Corinthians will reciprocate their confidence that He does have 
true concern for them, rooted in the grace of God. Again, because Paul's probably brought some hard truth. But it's not rooted in disdain or malevolence. It's rooted in the love of Christ. And sometimes it's hard to see somebody's love in rebuke. Has that ever happened to you? Someone's rebuked you and you're not quite sure how you feel about them. You're not quite sure. And you have a choice. You can question their motives. You can start going down a list of all their shortcomings. I mean, hey, if you serve with me, you're going to see my shortcomings. I may correct you, but you yeah, well, pastor, you, have, you got this, this, this. You're right. You're right. But that's not the issue. The issue is, are we dealing with the truth? One of the things I had to deal with as a young pastor is timeliness, being on time to events I was leading. You can't show up on time and expect things to go well when you're, you know, you should have been there 15, at least five minutes beforehand and be prepared. No, you have to be, if you're on time, you're late. And sometimes I was just late too. That was an issue that I needed to be confronted about. And sometimes I still need to be confronted about it. But my point is, that is something that I needed to work on. That was a, that was a flaw in my character. But Proverbs 27.6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's not done to beat you up. It's, it's to bring good correction. And folks, with the stuff that's going on in Corinth, they needed correction. They needed correction because they were going to go off the tracks in their faith in so many areas. And they needed be brought back to center. So it was really faithful wounding of a friend. Are we willing to receive correction? And when we give correction, can we do it in kindness and love and humility and say, hey, I realize I have my own stuff I need to work on. But here's what needs to happen to move forward. Paul also wants to turn their confidence toward his sincere plans, at least the sincerity that he had in making them originally. Verse 15 through 18. Because of this, because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say, yes, yes. No, no. Paul's saying, look, I fully intended to do this. I fully intended to go up to Macedonia. It wasn't a flaky plan. And when I came back, I wanted to bless you. In fact, the word that is used in the Greek is grace. I wanted to give you double grace in going up and back and visiting you twice in that time. And then have you send me off to Judea. And I did this not with worldly wisdom not with worldly motives, not with worldly planning, not looking for the life of the better offer. 
Have you ever done that? Have we ever done that with worldly wisdom? We kind of make plans. Oh, oh yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Unless something better comes along. You ever done that? High schoolers, middle schoolers? Do you kind of make plans sometimes and say, oh yeah, I'll come to that event. Unless something better comes along. That's worldly wisdom. There's some things that we need to commit ourselves to just because they're worth doing. Whatever comes. And again, Paul wants to remind them of his sincere love and care for them. Again, it's rooted in the grace of Jesus Christ. It is that grace that drives him, that motivates him. And he wants to make sure that they know it. Especially when it comes to the gospel. The good news that he delivered to them, that he gave to them. It is still good good news, you guys. And I want you to have confidence in it. I want you to be able to boast in the cross of Christ. So confidence in the faithful message of Christ. Verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us and by me, by me, and Silas, and other translations, so Silvanus, it's like going from uh, Jack to John, or uh, Hank to Henry, Silas, Silvanus, and Timothy. It was not yes and no, but it in, in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so, listen to this, And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Paul wants them to understand that even though his timing of his return to visit them has changed, and we'll see that a little bit later in this letter, the truth and the reliability of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, has not. Because Paul preached it to them. Right? And so they're wondering, well, if this guy can't keep his schedule, was there truth in his original, his original message? And remember, the majority of these Corinthian Christians are Gentiles. Originally considered outsiders by Jewish uh, and Hebrew perspective from the promises of God. And then Paul comes and he preaches Christ. And says, hey, there's a new covenant. And if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are children of the living God. In fact, this is how God has reconciled all mankind to himself. And now that he's not showing up, it's like, oh, is that that true? And Paul's saying, yes. Yes, even though I'm... I have to change my plans. That gospel is still true. And all the promises, by the way, and we're referring mostly to the Old Testament here, as Paul writes this, they are yes in God. You know that promise in Genesis chapter 12 that through Abraham's seed, all people would be blessed. How's that answered? It's yes in Jesus Christ, who is Actually, Abraham's physical seed on a, a, a human level. That promise of a king to David who would reign on his throne forever and, and make a place of worship 
It's not Solomon. Ultimately, it's Christ who reigns on the throne and makes a place for God to be worshipped in the heart of every believer. If you are in Christ, you are the temple of the living God. That yes is in Jesus. That child who was born, that son who was given, who would be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and the increase of His government and peace knows no end. The yes is in Jesus. In Isaiah 53, that suffering servant who was pierced for our transgressions, who was crushed for our sin, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. That's the yes to them, to the Corinthians. That's the yes that's to us today. And there are other promises in the Scriptures that may not specifically be towards us, but are ultimately yes in Christ Jesus. Jeremiah 29.11 A promise to give Israel a future and hope. But you know what? Ultimately, that yes is made manifest in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's yes in Him. And then even this psalm I came across this week, Psalm 68, verses 19 through 20, which says, Praise be to the Lord, to the God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves from the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. That, yes, is found ultimately in Jesus. And so much more. In Christ Jesus, He is the key. He is the key to how we have access to the promises of God and how those things are made manifest and how they work. He is the yes to the high priest that sits in the presence of Ancient of Days who is there making intercession for us and ushers us into the throne room of grace that we might find help in our time of need. And you know what? Those realities, those yeses should elicit a response from us. An amen. Let's try that. Everyone just say, amen. One, two, three. Let's try it on three. One, two, three. Amen. Okay, we're going to practice a little bit. We need to get better at this, people. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to manipulate anybody, but I think it's good for our hearts. Because he goes on. He says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. Our response should be, Amen. You see, it's God who's going to cause us to stand in Christ. And he goes on, he says, He has anointed us. He set His seal of ownership on us and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. What does that say to your heart? Amen. Right? You see, if you're in Christ, He has poured out His Spirit in you. It's there as a guarantee that you are His. It is a guarantee of what is to come that you are going to be face-to-face with the living God, have His eternal inheritance, 
You'll have a face-to-face experience with Him in His presence forever where there is no pain, no death, no sorrow. He'll wipe away every tear. And in Christ, it is always yes. And the response of our heart should be amen. Let's see if we can grow in that area. I'm not trying to manipulate anybody, but it's something that we can affirm in our hearts. See, Paul did not want the Corinthians to miss the security and the guaranteed hope of the truth of being in Christ. He says, folks, that is your boast. That is your confidence. That is your amen. Truly, it's going to happen. And our brother David prayed for those who are in Florida today. And let me tell you, my heart goes out to those people, and I pray that God will use what's happening there to reach their hearts. But here's the truth. What God has revealed is, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Houses and lands can be blown away. Properties can be stolen. They can rust. At the end of the day, what I have is Christ. That's where my boast is. That's where my confidence is. And again, my heart goes out to the people and the losses that they had. That is hard. That is difficult. But if they have Christ, they have an anchor in this storm. That will keep them through this difficult time and unto eternity. Thank you. Thank you. That is what Paul wants for this church. Whether I come back or not, I want you to be anchored there. And that is what I want for you. That your confidence, your boast, would be in Christ. And in Him, all the promises of God are yes. And should elicit in our hearts an amen. The very end here, Paul wants them to have confidence in continue, his continued character, even in the change of plans. Verse 23, I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it. It was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith that you stand firm. So, I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. We're going to dig deeper into that possible pain next week. But, Paul's saying, I want you to know my heart, my motive. God is my witness. I'm working, guys, I'm not working for your, your sorrow. I'm working for your joy. And I don't lord over your faith. The Lord lords over your faith. And you stand firm in your faith because of Him. Not because of me and whether I come and visit or not. If I come, that's great. But your faith is firm in Christ. And Right now, I sent you a painful letter. And you're still smarting from it. So I don't want to 
cause more injury. I don't want to add insult to injury. Not because I'm unfaithful to you, my love for you, but rather because I am. So I'm going to forego coming right now, and I'll come later. That's the misunderstanding that's going on here. You know, it's good for us as believers to keep our word. We should be known as people that keep our word, especially leaders. But hear this also. We also need not be slaves to the calendar or our past intentions when following through brings more harm than good. I'm going to tell you, if I started my sermon last week at 1130, it would not have been a blessing to you. Some would endure it, but the children's workers especially would not be blessing my name. Trust me. I had to make a change in plans. And that's okay. You can say, well, Pastor Nathan, you didn't keep your word. Well, technically maybe you're right. But God had something different. It's okay for us to make adjustments along the way. And relationships trust true motives, right? We want to give each other the benefit of the doubt. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Love believes all things. And you can say, well, did Paul make the right call? There might have been some folks in the church that said, we could have handled it. We would have been fine. Okay, maybe. Maybe not. We don't know. But he had to make a judgment call. He prayed about it, I'm certain. I'm certain that he brought it before the Lord. But he was just trying to operate and do what was best for all. And sometimes we have to be able to release control when people make decisions that we don't like. You know, I was serving in Illinois at a church as an associate pastor on staff, and we had an outdoor baptism planned at a similar water, watering hole like we have here at, at Foster Aaron's. And there was a plan to you know, take over the beach, and we were going to have public baptisms and all that, and we were really excited about that. It was going to be a public, you know, a public declaration of our faith in Christ. And then lightning was in the forecast. And we had to move the baptisms to the indoor baptistry that was there. But you know what happened? That was supposed to be a, a late afternoon baptism. Well, it's the Midwest. And the weather changed, right? And so we didn't have the electric storms. And then you heard little chirpings of, well, if the staff had more faith, you know, we, we could have kept that. We could have done that. And that's real easy to say unless you're in charge of that. But, you know, the staff made a decision for the benefit of those who are going to be baptized. None of us wants to be in the water when the electric storm comes. And that, person, that person's life, let alone your own life, is in danger. And sometimes we are just misunderstanding and we need to ask for clarification, just like I did with my pastor friend. Like, I had no idea that you were, couldn't even hear me. What's going on? We need to bring clarification. And then there are just sometimes when leaders get it wrong. I wonder if there are a few decisions that Paul said, you know, if I had to do that over again, I would have done that differently. Like his splitting with Barnabas and John Mark. Maybe, maybe not. And you know what? That doesn't mean that 
uh, leaders don't need to be humble and receive uh, you know, constructive feedback. But infallibility cannot be the standard of what we ask our leaders to hold on to, right? We are ministers of grace. Hopefully there's grace for us as well because that needs to reign in our relationships in our body. Again, sometimes it's just miscommunication. We don't like a decision, but we don't need to question motives or question uh, a person's intent. The grace of Christ needs to reign. So if you have a misunderstanding, maybe you need to pray and say, God, give me grace to ask. Is there something I'm not seeing here? Is there something I misunderstand? And it might mean confronting in love, bringing correction, being faithful with the wounds of a friend. And sometimes it might just mean forgiving. Yeah, that person gaffed and and they said, you know what, you're right, I, I gaffed and I need to ask your forgiveness. But this is the body of Christ where grace needs to reign. And ultimately, our rock, our confidence is in Christ. Not in the infallibility of our leaders. There's one Savior. His name is Jesus. It's not any of us here. And He needs to be our boast. He needs to be our confidence. He needs to be our rock. And He needs to be our yes. And amen. So with that, we will move into a celebration of what our faithful Savior has done.